if you've got a Bible, will you turn with me to 1 John? 1 John. So that's the letter of John towards the end of the New Testament. 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read from verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let's love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know And we rely on the love that God has for us. I want you to, if you can, just hold that open and we'll look at that in a moment or two. We've been um, over Advent, we've been looking at four words and the way they shape both the Christmas story and also our own lives. We've looked at peace and what does it mean to be a peacemaker. We've looked at hope, we looked at joy. And today I want to look at love, the fourth of those words. The way that this season is shaped by a love that God has for us, but also a love then we share for one another. I don't know how this, um, I don't know how this season works out for you. I don't know how you feel today, whether you're kind of really chilled, knowing that everything's sort of, there's nothing to worry about, all is well. Or whether there's just that sort of sense is, I've still got stuff to do. And um, whether you're going to be charging around the country or whether people are going to be coming to you or whatever you're going to be doing, it can be that sort of mixture of brilliant, stressful, and, I don't know, just a lot to do. I was looking through, um, I was looking through the card shop the other day for a card, and I saw one that was from, for a husband to send to his wife that said... Every day with you is like Christmas Day. And I thought, that might not always be <laughs> such a great thing. <laughs> Stress, joy, preparation. And it's about love. That's kind of one of the things it's about. You spend ages looking for a gift for someone you love. And then you hope that they really appreciate it. And you miss the ones you love because they're not with you. It's a time where the adverts all around us want to talk about love. 
and about what that means and what it looks like. So, as we've done with the other three words, let's begin with the short film that talks about love and uh, trying to make sense. You probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. 
Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. That's great. And it taps into what our society kind of wants. At least it taps into the desire for love, whether or not it taps into the desire for Jesus. And it's there in all the adverts, and you do see it, whether it's um, Elton John's parents who uh, buy him a piano when he's only a young boy, sacrificially, and then you end up with Elton John. (laughs) I don't know if you see that as a good thing or a bad thing, but that's uh, John Lewis for you. This period where we've extended a Christian festival into a whole month and more becomes a period where, as a society, we we end up wanting to believe that there's more, that it's got to be different, that surely the world can be different. That's why people are remarkably generous at Christmas, Christian and non-Christian giving money to homeless charities, to doing stuff that in the rest of the year we're too busy or too distracted to do. But at this time of year, it doesn't feel right that anybody is on their own. It's almost like hardwired into us. It feels like it should be different. And therefore, people will work in soup kitchens and put on lavish dinners for people who are on the streets. Why? Because at this time of year, of all times of year, It feels like there ought to be more, more than just the way we've always known it to be. There ought to be love. There ought to be love. It's almost like everything in our Western culture goes, surely there's got to be more than this. And of course, as Christians, we want to say, you're dead right, there is. And it works on a number of levels. It works on a level that's for you as a person, as an individual, that actually there is a message for you that's, that's different, that actually for you, you are loved and that there's more in the way you live. If you're on Facebook, you may well have seen this little film. Um, it, there was a film that was made by an individual and um, I thought, it was worth showing because I think it kind of, it's been seen by, I don't know, 100 million people. It's like one of these things that's gone massively viral. If you've not seen it, you're behind the curve. But um, it's kind of like, you know, this sort of viral thing that's gone out. And when you watch it, well, maybe we'll ask the question, why do you think it's so popular? We'll watch the film and then we'll ask the question.
Hi Chris, it's Mum. Merry Christmas, Poppet. Another year has passed. I wanted to start this one by saying something I haven't said yet, which is thank you. Thank you for taking the time to remember me. After all these years, I can't believe you're going to be 30 soon. I wish I could be there to see how you've grown, to see what kind of man you've become. I know I would be so proud of you. So this is it, my last tape. I wish I could keep talking to you every Christmas, but it's time to say goodbye. Just remember how much I love you. Never forget that, okay? I will always be your mum. Before I go, let me tell you a story about the happiest day of my life. The day you were born. Sorry if that hijacks you. Why is it so popular? So the way this works <laughs> is uh, I just sort of ask a question and then just hang around a little bit. Why do you think it's popular? Why do you, what has that tapped into? Yeah, so that sort of human side of love, we, we get that. The, the love of a mother for a son, um, it feels concrete, whereas actually the love of God feels difficult to get your head around. It's too abstract, it's too unseen. Why else? Our compassion, our sympathy. Yeah, for him. Yeah. That we understand that need to hear to hear what? That you're loved. And that you're loved by someone else. That someone says, actually, even though I'm not with you, uh, you're not forgotten. You're, you're loved. Why else? Yeah, you put yourself in that shoes. And um, if I keep going till about April, that's what I'm going to end up looking like. And then I'll work on the ponytail thing. I think, I think I'll be there. I think I'll struggle with the hair. Um, but yeah, you can put yourself there. Anything else? What does, it, what does it evoke? Yeah, Charlie. Yeah, it's separate. That's a very articulate way of putting it. it, it, it it's something about death that, that this is not the way it was supposed to be. We weren't designed for death. Death interrupts creation. But that separation from those that we are loved by. And it's not surprising then that at Christmas people watch that. And it does hijack you. It hijacks you emotionally. But you watch it and you think, actually, yes, that's, that's what I want to be able to articulate. That's what I would want to articulate to the people I love. That's what I think people I know need to hear. Well, let's pull us back to the text and spend a few minutes just around the text. I wonder if, Paul, you can put me back onto the... Um, 
the second slide, that'd be great. When John is writing to this early church, he's writing to a group of people who are about something between 40 and 60 years after Jesus had died. It's like the second generation of the church. So the earliest people who've been with Jesus, they've been alongside him. But there's other people who've joined the church since. There'd be other people who've been born since. And they've joined this church. And it's easy in John's mind for two things to become true. One is you lose the sense of the concrete nature of Jesus becoming man. And it all becomes a general airy-fairy spirituality. And John, to his church, wants to say, don't lose the concrete nature of the incarnation. Don't lose the fact that God became flesh and lived amongst us. For all your talk of spirituality, don't lose that. He's going to be really strong on that. But the other thing he's going to say is, but don't fool yourself. Don't have your definitions of belief. Don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. If you don't do the hard work of loving one another, and if you don't love the ones who are in need, the ones who are difficult, the ones who are hard to love, don't fool yourself. And um, it's possible, isn't it, that in, we haven't done this year, but you, know, you can imagine in the, if, all, if we were here later this evening and all these candles were lit and it was dark and it was all very lovely, you can forget both those things. You can forget that actually this time of year is not about some airy-fairy general spirituality and that this time of year is actually about loving. And um, he answers three questions, I think, that are still very keen for us today. Paul, can you take me through the next slides for me? These three questions. Am I loved? Am I lovable? And am I able to love? You see, it's almost impossible, it's almost impossible to love other people if you don't know that you are loved. It's impossible to give to others a sense of what they need if you don't know deep down that actually I am loved as I am and I can do this. And I think that in the passage that we read, those three questions are answered like this. Take me to the first slide for me, Paul. When, Paul, when John writes to his uh, church, he says, am I loved? This is, can you take me to the next one? I think we've gone back. Yeah. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. Not sentimental. It's a concrete action of God in Christ. It's why it's important to hold to the doctrine of Jesus. When he's he, in chapter four, the bit we didn't read, he said, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Whatever your feelings, whatever your tinglings, whatever your general spirituality, actually it comes back down to this Did God become flesh? 
And for early Christians, they stood alone and they said, yeah. Because if he didn't, then it all falls apart. Jesus Christ came in flesh. See, the truth is, we don't know much about God except Jesus, through Jesus. We can make our best guesses. It's why when you talk to people and they want to talk to you about, do you believe in God? That becomes such a slippery conversation. Much better to say, tell me what you think about Jesus. Because God's too slippery, but Jesus is concrete. God's open to all sorts of interpretations, but Jesus came, God in flesh, in a place, at a time. When Quirinius held his first census, when King Herod was a king, when there was a place called Bethlehem, and a family roots came from that, that's when God became flesh. And it was a time when God took the initiative with Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men, all were receivers. And I don't know about you, but for some of us, it's easier to be applauded than it is to know that you're loved. There were two old guys, and some of you will have heard of these two guys. Uh, There was a guy called Henry Nguyen, who was a Catholic writer, spirituality writer, and uh, he he did some remarkable stuff, actually. One of the things he did was... He was in, he taught at Harvard and Yale. He was like, when you're, if you're a Catholic um, priest, you just get told where to go. And the bishops had realized that he was really bright. And so they'd said to him, you need to go and teach in the university. So he went and taught in the universities and he wrote and he was really applauded. And then he went to work um, in L'Arche, which is a place where disabled people are cared for. So he'd gone from Harvard and Yale, and he worked in L'Arche. And he wrote about it loads of times. Really honest in his writings. He's good. If you ever get the chance to read him, you should. He's, he's really good. He had a friend called Jean Vanier, who started this L'Arche, the disabled place. And after Henri Nouwen died, Jean Vanier, they were big buddies about the same age. Jean Vanier said, the problem with Henri was he couldn't accept the fact he was loved. He just needed to be applauded. And that's that's kind of quite a statement, isn't it? But do you know how that feels, some of you? I'm loved if I do enough. I'm loved because of what I've done. I've loved because I'm worth it. And what Jean Vanier was saying about Nuon was he couldn't ever get past the idea he was loved because of who he was, not because of who we, what he did. That's why some of us struggle when we fail. Because when it doesn't work out right, it's easy not only for us to be disappointed about the outcome, but actually then, am I worth anything and am I worth loving And if it doesn't work out, and nobody can applaud, am I loved? And the Christmas story says, you're loved. God doesn't applaud you for what you've done. He's not bothered 
in the nicest sense. And I've got to be careful about that, but you kind of go with me. He's not actually bothered if you never do one next thing for him. He'll still love you. Because you're not earning his love by what you do. You're loved. And I know you and I both know this. It's like we tell eight-year-olds this. But it's not eight-year-olds that need to hear it. It's 54-year-olds that need to hear it. Because it's 54-year-olds, you know, if anybody was that age, it's 54-year-olds who are white, middle-class, male, with influence. Who think actually their worth is in what they do. And Christmas comes in and cuts the legs off people like me and you and goes, do you know what? You are valued because God takes the first initiative. It's not what you do. You're loved. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his only son. You don't get more Christianity 101 than that. You don't get more basic than that. But it's why you need to keep preaching the gospel to yourself. I might not be the only one here. In chapter 3, John says to this young church, and uh, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Christmas is the lavish love of God. Are you loved? Yes. How do you know? This is how God showed his love. The second thing is, are you lovable? And um, from time to time, um, people will say, yeah, but if you only knew. And sometimes they actually do say that. They do say, if, you, if people only knew, if they really knew what I was like. And uh, this lovable bit is answered, I think, in this second passage where John writes, he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How do you deal with the reality of who you are? It's about the normal time. How do you deal with the reality of who you are? What would put it right? What would put it right? Well, a sacrifice would put it right. If I could do my bit, that would put it right. You know how this works in, in relationship, eh? You know, there's, there's probably not a person amongst us who's not been in a relationship where you've messed it up and you think, right, I'm going to really, if I, can, if I can do the next bit really well, perhaps I can get over the bit I've just messed up. Mm-hmm. It's the, the sort of the cliche of the flowers from men to women, you know. It's like, I'll buy some flowers because I think the flowers might make up for the stuff I did wrong back then. Or I'll make a big effort and I'll do this or I'll do that or I'll do that. All it is is a sacrifice. Those garage flowers. It's just a sacrifice. It's just a sacrifice. How can I make it right? Well, I'll work harder. I'll do this. I'll book that. I'll... 
And you, you know, you, you've lived life enough to know how it works. I'll really clean the kitchen or I'll really do whatever I'll, you know. Because I think that might make it work. And yet, depending on what your flowers were intending to put right, no amount of bouquets can put the things that really matter right. No, matter, no amount of sacrifice can put me right with God. What is it that will put me right with God? Well, you know the next sentence. It's the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. You don't need to do deals with God. You don't need to get to January the 1st and go, God, I'm going to turn over some new leaves. I'm going to really try harder this year. You don't need to do that deal with God. You don't need to make promises to God. God, I'm really going to try harder this year to love you. God, I'm really going to try harder to hear from you. God, I'm really... You don't need to do any of that business of bargaining with God. Your sacrifices won't do it. You're loved. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. The one who knew you. The one who knows what you're like. And he didn't just deal with your individual sin. What he did was he broke sin. He broke it. He broke it. How come you're different than you were 10 years ago, some of you? What's happened? Sin was broken. You've been called into that relationship. You're lovable, not because you're perfect. You're lovable, not because you've done deals with God. You're lovable because he sent his son as the atoning sacrifice. And then my third and final thing. Am I able to love? And if we can move to the next one. And in that passage we read, he sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In the first chapter, um, John's written, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's a massive thing. But it's like, can you walk like Jesus? Can you, can you live that sort of life? Can you live that sort of generous life, that remarkable life where you give and you don't count the cost? Is it possible to live that cross-shaped life? And John said, yeah, it is actually. You live through him. This is the life of God that comes and lives in us and lives through us and we are his Can you love the unlovable? Can you love the difficult? Can you love the ones who actually, deep down, you don't even think they deserve it? Yeah, you can. Yeah, we can. That's why we do. Why? Because the Spirit, the Spirit who comes and we live through him. So let me run through some slides quite quickly. So how does this all fit together? Well, we've been over, since, since the autumn really, we've been looking at our uh, vision and values. Paul, I wonder if you can just press through, uh, not the, the second one and the next one and the next one. That'd be great. And the next one. And the next one. Brilliant. Beginning of autumn, we started talking about this. We said we're a growing community of whole life disciples 
who are alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another and the moment we're in so we can be good news to those around us. That's what we said about, we weren't sort of just wanting to say this is what we want to be, but we were trying to explain what we are at our best together. The things that we see, and in each of those, when, when we were putting those together, we were able to say, do you know what? We could tell stories about each of those clauses from in our church, people that we've seen that do again. And over Advent, we've looked at that last clause that we might be good news to those around us. And so my final slide. What does it mean to be good news? Well, the first thing it means is you've got to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. You're the one who, in families and in relationships, and most of you won't be at work, but when work begins again, you're the one that stands there as the peacemaker. The one who doesn't stoke the fire, but knows how to bring it down again. This is what it means to be good news. You are the, next one, you're the hope bringer. You're the one in your families and your, fam- your friendships. You're the one that says, you know what? It's not always going to be like today. It's not always going to be like today. I'm going to bring hope into this situation. Thirdly, you are the joy sharer. Where people, when you walk in a room and the room changes because you're there. Because you're the one that smiles. You're the one that finds out. You're the one that laughs easily. You're the one that brings joy into the room. You're good news. And then finally, this, this word demonstrator is not the best word. I, couldn't, I was going to put showers, but then it looked like love showers, and I thought that would be just confusing. You're the love demonstrators. You demonstrate what love is. Our life together gives concrete to God's activity in the world. You make concrete what God's done. You demonstrate what God has done. Are you loved? You are loved more than applauded. Are you lovable? You don't need to hide who you are because actually you've been covered by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. That rat bag side of you It's been covered. (laughs) If you're with someone, you can say, it's been covered, you're all right. You don't need to hide it. You've been covered. Can you love? Yeah. Because you're good news to people around you. You are the good news people. God demonstrates his love for us, that he sends his only son. We're going, to, uh, we're going to come back and they'll take us through uh, communion and um, we'll, uh, we'll reflect on this. But as they come back, let's just hear what's the good news that you've heard? What's the good news?
What's the good news? Come on, I've been preaching my tripe out here. What's the good news? You're loved. What else? What have you heard? Yeah, it's not about your feeling, about standing in God, about what God has done, his first action. What else have you heard? What's the good news? Friendship. The friendship. The friendship, one another, the love you show to one another. What else? That um, when you mentioned Henry Newman, he struggled with, with all aspects of him, his, mm. his, himself. And then he, he <coughs> if you like, found... He, he worked alongside, I think he was called Adam, mm. a, a young man who was profoundly disabled. And it was through serving Adam and waiting on him and, and, and helping him in his everyday, all the things that a human needs to do, that he discovered who he was, that he was loved. And um, it's, I get this sense that for all of us, we're a work in progress. Mm. So what we think we are today is like part of Peter's journey, who was Simon originally, but was working towards becoming Peter. That we might struggle with all sorts of imperfections and condemn ourselves, but we're on this journey, mm. um, becoming ultimately yeah. exactly what Jesus created us to yeah. be. Anybody else? Thanks for that. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think that sort of sense that of, of knowing that whatever you do, whatever you put your hand to, it is how you do it, because we've all been on the receiving end of people in a, who've been at work, and we know where people have overflowed with love for us. I, that sounds a bit soppy, but, but that's it, or hope. They've, they've gone beyond because of who they are, and we also know people who've just done their job and it is about saying, okay, in this context, I'm being sent by the Father, an agent of hope, someone of joy. And I think doing the ordinary stuff makes all the difference because these people are loved. 